Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, today we're kicking off um, a series called Thought Bubbles. And we're going to be, honestly, it's going to be a longer series than kind of we normally do here at Celebration Church. We're normally in the four to six weeks range, um, but we're honestly, we're going to be spending about nine weeks uh, looking at this idea and looking at different aspects of the scriptures and and the idea of a thought bubble you're familiar with it okay you know what it is you've seen it in cartoons you've you've seen it in in comic strips and of course you have you know this character this person who's having some sort of interaction and there's certain things they say and then you have the little kind of cloudy looking thought bubble that comes to their head and it's something that's going on in their minds. And of course, we as the readers get to have a little insight into what they're thinking. And there's some times, man, uh, we wish that like people came with thought bubbles, you know, you know, and sometimes spouses, we wish our spouse came with a thought bubble. Uh, but I think when it's all said and done, um, I'm, we're going to decide God's probably smart, <laughs> Uh, in the fact that God gives us some opportunities to rethink some thoughts uh, before we open our mouths, maybe. And so, um, but there's some places where thought bubbles, you know, that, you know, especially in, you know, in the, um, in the comics, you know, they, they give us some insight into what's going on. But when it comes down to every thought bubble you've ever seen, every thought bubble you've ever read, there's always been an author. There's always been someone who wrote those thoughts, someone who decided what those thoughts were going to be. And this series is going to be about that. This series is going to be about this truth that you and I need to be more in the driver's seat of the thoughts we think. Um, Because sometimes it feels like our thoughts happen to us. That we're just victims of our own thoughts. And so many times we wish we could just like unplug our minds and just shut it down. And there's some of you in this room who are uncomfortable sometimes being left alone with your own thoughts just because they don't go in ways um, that you know are healthy and are in a good direction to be able to go. And so the scriptures actually give us some insight that we really should be more engaged in deciding what we think, in writing our thoughts, in thinking things on purpose. And so if you've got your bulletin, you've got your Bible app, however you're going to track along, we've been, we're going to kick off with this idea that our choices matter. You know that. We all know that. Our choices matter. But how we think and what we think about that's what guides our decision process. And we all have one. We all have a decision-making process. And so some of it, it's guided by our own personal experience. Um, some of it's guided by our childhood and our parenting. We, we have an idea of what we want to become or what we should be based on how we were raised. And we have this, these thought parameters and and why not some of us um, have our feelings determine our thoughts. That whatever we feel in the moment, that's what we're going to think, which is why we can really like something or someone in a minute. And 10 minutes later, we really don't like that, and we really don't like that person anymore. 
Why? Because our feelings were guiding our decision-making process. And that happens, and man, the things are just all over, all over the place. And the scriptures want us to not be cast to and fro and, and knocked all over the place in, in our life and want us to be able to, to be more constant in this place. But if we don't recognize, if we don't understand that we need some help in our decision-making process, in the way we think, we won't fully open ourselves up to what it looks like to think differently, to be challenged in the way we think. A lot of us maybe feel like I kind of like 85% of my decision-making process. I'm going to kind of stay with 85. I maybe can have a little, some help over here or over here, but most of it I kind of am comfortable with. Um, but the truth is, scriptures say we need to be renewed in our minds is what we're going to look at in just a minute. And there was a space a number of years ago um, where I was really praying about um, just about the direction of ministry. Cutie and I had been, that's what I call my wife, um, Cutie and I had been in uh, ministry for a couple of years. We were in, doing youth ministry. Um, things were going good, but I was just really hungry to see some things expand and some more, uh, some more young lives impacted and, and just praying about that on a, praying about that on, um, on a regular basis and was just not getting any traction, Okay. Um, now, before I go with the rest of this story, um, I need to let you know I've told this story one other time in the history of Celebration Church, um, and simply because um, I need you to make sure you, you need to not see your pastor as a kook or a weirdo, all right? You just, it's not helpful if that's the way things go, okay? So just preface this. I'm being vulnerable with you here, all right? And this was a one-off in my spiritual growth. This isn't the way I live my spiritual life. Um, but um, there's some, some scriptural backing for it, just so you know. So I, I'm praying, and we're in our school of ministry at the, at the church we were a part of at that time. Um, there's a number of pastors who are part of that. Pastor Terry, who will be here in a couple of weeks, um, he was there in, that, in this particular meeting. And so we're in this prayer meeting, and I'm just kind of frustrated. I'm just not getting some answers um, in the way we want the youth ministry to be able to go. And so in this particular prayer meeting, all of a sudden, I just kept feeling like every time I pray, I felt like the Holy Spirit would give me this prompting, this direction um, to do something that was ridiculous. And um, I was like, uh, Lord, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to do it. And so, and I just would pray some more and I just kept feeling like I needed to do this this ridiculous thing. And there's a lot of other people around and I'm just like, this just doesn't make sense. And uh, so just long story short, every time I would keep coming back to a point of prayer, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me I needed to stand on my head. Um, yeah, weird. And so, and I'm not athletic. So it's not just like I could just like jump up and do a handstand and like, all right, Lord, here I am. Um, so I was like going to have to find a corner, prop myself up awkwardly, probably miss a couple of times. Um, this was not going to be pretty and graceful. And so I just went back and forth and the Holy Spirit was like, you know, just stand on your head. And so finally I was just like, all right, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll be a fool for you. And so I found a corner, propped myself up. I stood on my head in the corner. 
Um, well, Pastor Terry was a part of the meeting. He walks over there, and he's like, son, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm standing on my head, sir. And so I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I sat there for a little bit. Of course, the blood's rushing to my head. There's, you know, everybody else is, you know, in the prayer meeting, and I'm looking at it from an inverted position, and I'm just upside down, and nothing, nothing's changing for me, no moment. And finally, I just say, okay, Lord, now what? And just in that moment, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, you need a new perspective. And I was like, oh. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I just bust up laughing because that was the funniest thing the Holy Spirit ever did to me in my life. I'm like, you just had me stand on my head. You told him, Mr. Miyagi, me. And so had me do this silly thing to teach me this deal. It was just, and uh, praise God, he's never had me do anything like that since. Um, but just so you know, there's this, the scripture's full of pl- times where there's, you know, where God asked one person to lay on his side for 390 days and one another guy to, to buy a linen belt and stick it in a crevice and then he explains it after it's done. Just so you know, sometimes God may ask you to do something, maybe not stand on your head, but he may ask you to do something else and explain it on the backside. Yeah. Um, so sometimes uh, your breakthrough is on the other side of you just being willing to just follow his voice above everything else. So that may help somebody. That might help somebody. And so, but in that, all of a sudden now, on the back side of that moment, now when I went back into prayer, I was, I didn't realize I was the resistant part of my own prayer. As the Holy Spirit was trying to give me a, a, a different way of looking at youth ministry, I thought it had to be over here. And all of a sudden, there would be, there would be things coming at from this direction. And I'm like, no, 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 it has to fit in this space. It has to fit in this space. And finally, when the Holy Spirit said, you need a new perspective, I was like, oh, maybe I need to look over here. Oh, okay, okay. And I was the problem. I was the roadblock because of the way I was thinking. I was getting in the way of my own prayers. I was getting in the way of my own space. And then on the back side of it, on the back side of finally looking at a new perspective, all of a sudden we had a wonderful, sweet youth ministry, a lot of solid growth that took place in, in those 40, 50 young people, which was wonderful. But on the back side of that, God began to expand and allow us to grow and to multiply our leadership and, and begin to do some things and have some bus routes. And then we look up and a couple of years into a fresh perspective, we got 220 young people that are coming and lives are being changed and things are dramatically different because... I got out of my own way and let the Holy Spirit give me a new perspective. Let's go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to spend a lot of time in this passage over the next nine weeks. He's wrapping up his letter. Paul's wrapping up his letter and he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These are the thoughts you need to think. This is what you need to think about. You need to be the author of your own thoughts and begin to think on these types of things. 
You think on these things. And a lot of times we think, well, if I'm going to try to keep my thoughts centered on things that, that honor heaven and, and, and are representative of that, then I'm going to think about, you know, worship music. And I'm going to think about clouds. And, and you know, and I'm going to think about heaven. And I'm going to think about a Bible verse. And all of a sudden it just gets narrow and like it doesn't even fit into your normal everyday life. But the truth is, that the, these are actually places that we, these are gates that open up into big, expansive fields. That's why it says whatever. That whatever means whatever. As long as it fits in the place, like the very first one, whatever is true. If it falls within the parameter of true, then that opens up and you can begin to think on the things that are true. You know why that's the first one, the first metric we need to go after? It's because we spend too much time focused on things that aren't true. We spend too much time focused on things that, are, that have a seed of a lie in them. All of a sudden, that begins to be a, a part of our thought process, things that are not completely true. You know what is not true? All of the worries of tomorrow. They're not true. They haven't happened. We don't know if it's going to go that way or not. So why on earth will we spend all of, our, all of our worries? You know what? There are things that are true. There are things that are true that we can do today that make tomorrow better. Those things are true. And we can begin to embrace those things. Will they help if one of those sideways things happens tomorrow? Absolutely. But to just, but just to be fixated on the worries of tomorrow, they are not true. So we don't need to be fixated and have those things consume our thoughts. That's why the enemy wants to come in and get you to focus on a lie about you. Because guess what? If you can begin to embrace a lie about you, all of the opportunities that come up towards you are filtered through you. All of the interactions that you have with other people are filtered through you. If you look at you wrong... All of a sudden, now you're going to interact with opportunity wrong. You're going to interact with people wrong. You're going to interact with so many different things wrong. Why? Because you've bought into a lie about you. And that's why we need the very first thing we need to think about is whatever is true. And as we begin to unpack these things and look at these things, it's not restrictive on our thoughts. You know, there's so many things that are true. As, we, as science begins to unfold, it begins to find things that are true. Now, we'll begin to expound and hypothesize things that are untrue off of things that are, are true. Sure. But there are so many different things. Inventions happen out of things that are true. Cre genuine creativity comes out of things that are true. True is not a thing that limits us. It is a thing that releases us to be able to step forward into, into the life God has called us to do. And remember, we thought bubbles have an author. So you need to make sure you begin to think things on purpose. See, how we think determines how we live and our thinking absolutely matters. So let's look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verse 36. Jesus is being addressed here. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. With all your mind, with the way you think, 
If we begin to purpose to love God with our thoughts, love God with the way that our mind functions, all of a sudden now, that first and greatest commandment, if we're genuinely doing that, what does that do with the rest of the commandments? They fall in line. All of a sudden, they just begin to take care of themselves. If we will love God with all of ourselves, including our mind, our, our, the way we think, man, it begins to revolutionize our lives. But there's a place where if we don't do that, if we let something negative, something hurtful, it begins to transform us and begins to destroy us and actually makes interactions with other people negative. And let's look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 6. Proverbs 23 says, do not eat the bread of a miser. Well, what's a miser? It's a, it's a greedy person. It's a person who wants to hoard everything for themselves, wants everything for them and nothing for others. It says, don't eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever his, his thoughts are, that's who he really is. Doesn't matter what begins to come out of his mouth. Why? Because this miser who thinks in his heart, he's, he's a miser, he's greedy, says, eat and drink, he says to you. Sounds generous, but it's not. But his heart, it's not with you. The morsel that you've eaten, you'll vomit up and waste your pleasant words. See, that miser, he's not generous. He's not giving you anything. He's buying something from you. He's going to make sure he's, getting, he's made a deposit in you, and now whatever was already in you, he's going to demand back. He's like, nope, 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 nope. That miser was never, if all of a sudden he seems generous, that miser is not being generous. He's buying. He's always about himself. You eat his food and he's going to demand something from you. He never gives something for nothing. He that all of a sudden, why? Because the way he thinks his heart determines all the other actions, even the ones that seem contrary to who you think they are. All of a sudden, you no, you're not... I thought he was greedy. Look, he's being generous. Nope. Nope. He's not. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Seeing where humanity's thinking went off the rails, went wrong, reveals how to correct our thinking. For us to understand this process, how this is going to go right for us, we have to understand how it went wrong for humanity, okay? So we're going to just think back to Genesis chapter 2 before we jump into Genesis 3. We're going to think back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, uh, God finishes creation. He creates uh, humanity. Um, Adam is created first. Adam gets the grand tour of, of the garden, and God himself walks him through, shows him around, points out the, the, different, the different rivers, points out the different trees, even shows him where the gold is, and begins to, to show him everything there, and then shows him the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and says, of every tree in the garden, eat of every one of them. Eat whatever you want. It's nice and broad. Here it is. Now, here's this one tree. Not the tree of death. We have the tree of life. Not, it's not the tree of death. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat this, and all of a sudden, now you're going to know something you didn't know before. This is going to affect 
your mind. You eat this one, and it's going to mess with your mind, to mess with the way you think. And it says, in the day you eat it, you'll surely die. You're not going to be who I created you to be anymore. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3. This is where the temptation comes. So the serpent, the enemy, is talking. He says, and immediately attacks. He says, surely you will not surely die. You will not surely die. Immediately begins to, to lead in with a lie to begin to make them doubt God's word. That is why we have to stand on the side of truth. Whatever is true, we're going to think on these things. The very first thing that the enemy comes at is with a lie. And if they were going to believe the lie over God's truth, then all of a sudden the, 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 the slippery slope, they've, they've tipped over it. It's, it's messed up. It says, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. All of a sudden now, you're going to be like him. So now they've bought into the lie. Now they're being tempted with pride and they're going to now elevate themselves and pull themselves up to be like God. And then in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized a thought came into their mind. They realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. After this, God goes looking for them and they've hidden. God calls out to them. And Adam finally says, um, We've hidden from you because we were naked. We've hidden because we were naked. Now, here's the thing. Prior to them consuming and all of a sudden eating this new knowledge of good and evil, they had, they had lived without clothing. And the scriptures in, in chapter 2 actually said that, that they were naked and felt no shame. Well, why on earth would they feel any shame? We're like... Why would, they, why would they feel ashamed? Why does the scriptures even need to point this out? It's just the two of them on the planet. There's nobody else around. They're married, okay? Being married and naked, that's good. We're, we're about it. Married naked time, we're about it. And so we're like, why does it need to be pointed out that there was no shame associated with it? We, we, we get that. That's, that's not a big deal. Why? Because all of a sudden, we're going to have the exact same scenario. And all of a sudden, with new information, that all of a sudden their brains are filled. Their minds are filled with the improper, evil use of the naked human form. And now they're ashamed. All of a sudden now, they've not done it. They've not experienced it. There's been no abuse. There's been no violations. But now their minds can conceive of the improper use of the naked human form. And now all of a sudden, they just got, they just got shame just because of that. And they begin to find some way to begin to cover that up because they're like, this can go off the rails. Why were we not already covered? 
This is so dangerous. Why were there not some guardrails put in this space? We got to make our own. And God begins to speak in verse 11. And he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I like the way the contemporary English version puts it. How did you know that you were naked? God asked, did you eat from any fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden? I want to point out that nude and naked are not the same thing. Okay? Nude is something's natural state. Okay? And naked is something that it, something has been removed. It has been uncovered. That there's a covering that would be there and it has been removed. All of a sudden now, God says, because he says, hey, we, we, we were naked. All of a sudden now they began to look at themselves the way that God designed them. And now because of their broken thought pattern, they're like, God, there was a deficiency and we had to fix it. You didn't make us right. We had to fix this for ourselves. You left us out here like this, unprotected. All of a sudden now their brains are broken and now immediately they go into I have to care for myself mode. That is part of the broken process. That's part of the broken thing that somehow God messed up and I've got to handle it. That is a lie that has gone on from the garden all the way through today. And it's a lie you and I deal with every time. You and I deal with it all the time. A lot of times we feel like we could be a better God than God. God, if you're so good, then why this? God, if you're so good, then why that? God, why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you change that? It's a slippery slope if you really follow that thought pattern. Because it goes all the way down to finally, if you're honest, it's God, why didn't you do something about me? I've caused harm. I've caused pain. I've caused brokenness. Why'd you put up with this? But there's a place all of a sudden now where the broken mind now begins to pull away from God, now begins to blame God, now begins to feel like it has to self-protect and self-promote and self and, and, and just handle all the problems ourselves. And that was where the Holy Spirit now begins to step in to unwind that. That's where you and I start. We start broken. We start with a, with, a, with a broken mentality and a broken thought process. But now we see that God wants to reverse that. That's part of the restoration process. We have to understand that to love God completely and to live life fully, our thought life needs to be directed by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That's what we all want. We all want life and we want some peace. As we revisit Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All of a sudden now, let's invite that into our daily lives, okay? Let's invite that into Monday, okay? Going to work, okay? Getting everything going again. 
Well, let's think about that. If we're going to try to think on anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, how would it change your tomorrow if you show up at work looking for something that's excellent and praiseworthy? If you look for your job, not something to complain about, not something to be frustrated about, look for something that's excellent and praiseworthy. How's that going to change your Monday? You look for something that's excellent and praiseworthy in your coworkers. You look for something that's excellent and praiseworthy in your boss. You're looking for something that's excellent and praiseworthy. Then all of a sudden now that's just going to change the way you think. It doesn't automatically fix your work environment. But what it does is it fix your, the, how happy you are with your work environment. Why? Because you begin to notice there are a few things that are excellent. There are a few things that are praiseworthy. These things that are, give our attention to. It changes everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds. Now that sounds awesome. That sounds like something you want to grunt. Ugh, strongholds. We're going to demolish strongholds. Going to get a better amen. amen. Just sounds like something like, but here's what's funny. We step into verse 5, and it says, we demolish. We're ready for that demolishing. We're going to bring the heat. We're going to bust it up. We demolish arguments and every pretension, which is a preconceived idea, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All of a sudden, these strongholds, it's not something on the outside, it's something on the inside. The stronghold you're battling against is something on the inside of you. It is a thought. It is a pretense. It's a preconceived idea that goes contrary to Christ, contrary to who God is. And we have to let the Holy Spirit begin to come in and change the way we see those things. We tear down the arguments. We have these ideas. Why? Because we have arguments to back them up. God, I think this about the world. I think this about myself. I think this about you and the scriptures because I have my reasons. And if we will let God into that intimate space, right between our ears, all of a sudden now he can begin to shift and to grow us. See, I love that it's to bring it into obedience to Christ. Not to Jesus, but to Christ. Like it's the same person. Yes, but we're calling him now by his title. He's the anointed one. When we talk and say we're bringing it to obedience to the anointed one. If we're going to let the anointed one have his way, Isaiah tells us what that looks like. It's burden removing, yoke destroying. Some of your, some of your thoughts are burden and we bring it into obedience to Christ and let him do it, he'll remove that burden out of your brain. Remove that burden out of your thought pattern. Some of your, some of your thoughts are a yoke. You try to go one way and your thoughts keep hauling you the other one. You're yoked in there. You're tied into it. It's carrying you in a negative direction and you're trying and you keep feeling pulled and it's sitting there. And the, the Christ will come in and break that yoke and allow you to move free, allow you to move forward with him. That pattern that kept keeping you going in circles over and over and over again. You bring that thought into obedience of Christ and it breaks that yoke and it removes that burden and it lets you walk like the child of God that you are. It lets you move forward. It changes 
It changes things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and perfect will. We'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, as soon as you place your faith in Christ, your spirit is heaven ready. Right then, right now, was then when you said yes to Jesus, still is. Heaven ready right now. But our mind, it's still got some hell on it. It's still got some hellish stuff wound up in there. And we need some renewing in that. And so many times you can say, Pastor, I have a relationship with God. Why do I still have these tendencies? Why do I still have these thoughts? I thought I said yes to Jesus because you need to let him renew your mind. And just like you had faith for your spirit and for your eternity, you need to have faith for your mind and trust him in that space as well. See, we have a weapon that helps us to know how to think correctly. Ephesians 6, 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word helps to make things clear and understand. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Here we go. There you are. For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even through the dividing of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. So many people think that soul and the spirit are the same thing. They're not. Your spirit is that that is remade and made alive. It was dead and it is alive. Your soul, soul is wrapped up with your mind, your will, and emotions. And sometimes we need, the Holy Spirit needs to help us understand when we're getting into a soap being led by our soul instead of led by the spirit. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her, the church, holy. Cleansing her by washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself. As a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I love it that the scriptures understand that you and I are stained and wrinkled and blemished. Don't beat yourself up if you're stained and wrinkled and blemished. And certainly don't pull away from God because you're stained and wrinkled and blemished. That he wants to cleanse you with water by the word, the water of the word. And this is a beautiful, a beautiful metaphor, a beautiful picture of, the, of this loving, caring husband just being able to gently wash and care for their spouse. Be able to just gently wash and gently renew. You and I look at ourselves sometimes and we look at our spots and our wrinkles and blemish and we think that God's gonna hook up to the water with a, with a power sprayer. And gives it, we're going to knock some of those rough things off. All of a sudden, this is going to be painful. This is going to be hard. That Yeah, he's going to use the word, but he's going, to, he's going to tear me up with it. But that's not what it's doing at all. This image is a gentle washing with water by the word. We let him begin to renew our minds. We begin to allow the Holy Spirit to change what we think. But you won't do it unless you think you need it. 
you won't embrace him changing the way you think if you think you think just fine. You have to understand my mind needs to be renewed to let him do it. You have to do it. So today, our bottom line is this. Think about what you think about. That's what I want you to move forward with this week. I want you to just notice your thoughts, okay? I want you to just notice them. We're not here saying that all of a sudden you got to clean everything up, change everything. I want you to just pay attention to them, okay? Something challenging happens in your life. Someone irritates you. Something goes wrong. Notice how you think, okay? Something good happens. Something wonderful happens. Notice how you think. And just take an inventory this week of your thoughts. Not to beat yourself up, but just to be aware. Just to know what's going on inside your own head. And step into an awareness that says, Lord... I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to, to genuinely think differently. I need your help to think differently. And he says, you know what? I can do it. I can take you there. But folks, it begins with allowing him to be your savior, allowing him to be your father and you to be his child. Step over from death into life. That's where it begins. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.